everyone, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the exciting news that my fourth audiobook has been released and is now out there in the world of Audible. You can go to Amazon and look up Terry Welbrock Narrator or uh, The Best Bedtime Stories for Stressed Out Adults, Book Two. And the other three books are The Energy Medicine Solution, The Wellness Woman, and The Best Bedtime Stories for Stressed Out Adults, book one. So there you go. All right, well, go check it out. I do have some download codes available if you are interested in any of those books. I've given away all of the codes for the Energy Medicine Solution in the United States. I still have 25 codes for the UK. They gave me codes for the United States and the UK. Um, but I have codes for the other three books. So if you're interested, reach out to me um, at info at terrywellbrock.com. That's my email, info at terrywellbrock.com. And just say, hey, I'd love to have a code. And I will uh, send you one, first come, first serve. All right, thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and so very excited to have with me today, Rosie McMahon, and she is counselor, educator, trauma survivor, healing advocate, and author. So welcome, Rosie. Thank you. Glad to be here. I, and I'm, I told everybody, well, I told Rosie before we hit record, there is a huge thunderstorm happening on Hilton Head Island right now. So I can hear it like boom, 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 but I'm thankful I have a good microphone and it's not picking any of that up. So No, no, you sound very clear. <laughs> well, good. Well, if my walls start rattling behind me, it's not a ghost in the room. It's uh, <laughs> it's just the thunder rolling through. So, well, yeah. So I know one of the things that we we want to dive into and why not start with it because it's always fun is you've, you've written a book, a memoir. Um, so, Talk to us about that and how that came to be. Okay, sure, sure. So the book is Fortunate Daughter, a memoir of reconciliation. And it came out in the spring of uh, 2021, um, which was a little too bad because I could only do things virtually to announce it, you know, uh, but I did. And now I'm doing all sorts of live uh, in-person uh, events. And that's that's been great. And um you know, I started writing it many, many years ago, uh, maybe almost 15. And and I've written other things, but I kept working on the memoir uh, because A, it was good for me to write it. And B, I was learning a lot about what this story means in the world. And I was operating with a certain assumption uh, that I kept checking. And the assumption was uh, that there wasn't another story like it in um, in the world in writing. Um, there might be another story like it. In fact, I suspect there is, but I haven't come across one, you know, in a book that I've read and I have searched. And I and I guess you could say I'm also still searching. Uh, and we could sort of discuss why it is. Uh, but the thing that is unique about the story and the reason that I then moved from writing it to trying to get it published to getting it published is that I wanted to insert, um, I wanted to insert the story into the dialogue about, oh, all these things, uh, repair, renewal, restorative justice, healing, forgiveness. 
I wanted this story, I want this story to be part of that dialogue. Uh, and and I think it is becoming that. And it's very exciting uh, to me uh, to meet the responses to the story. And so, uh, you know, writing is healing. In my view, like we're all creative and we have to find a way to express that. And for some people it's writing, for me it's writing. So how can sort of this story about um, repair and renewal and restorative justice be inserted into the larger dialogue? And I have been, you know, through the responses that people are having about my book, learning about, you know, what what that what that looks like, what that feels like, what that means. Uh, but I was saying, yes, I, I write to be creative. I also wrote to heal. I think all, you know, artistic expressions are healing. This has been healing for me. Um, but I really decided to publish it, to share it that way with a desire to um, insert myself into uh, the the dialogue and the discussion about how people can heal. And, and, and I would say, uh, and maybe we'll talk more about this, you know, lots of people experience trauma and lots of people heal. Uh, it's my belief, you know, trauma is everywhere, but so is healing. And, and I know you agree with that um, from the little bit I've learned about your story. And, and, and yet we're very attached to who the people are that are traumatized, to who the people are that are healed. And, you know, that's very interesting to meet, uh, if you will, those assumptions. But um, the reconciliation part of the story is is the rare part. And, and I could say more about it, but I had really brave and skilled therapists help me and my family. So that was one piece of how I understand the reconciliation. And the other piece is also the courage of my parents. And it was my father who was the the perpetrator, if you will. I'm using that language in quotes. And my mother also as a perpetrator, because as a bystander and not really protecting her children, you know, myself and my siblings were injured. But in any case, they participated in this confrontation. That's what it was called, uh, orchestrated by these therapists. And we didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, the therapists were like, just, you know, speak your truth to power and and you don't need um, to have any response. It's it's your it's your truth. Right. It's your power. And and my parents, um, surprisingly, uh, were genuinely remorseful and they then contributed and participated in an amend making process. And I think if more people were given that opportunity, more people actually might behave the same way. Um, so I'm grateful to them as well uh, for what they offered me in their response, uh, which is for me, again, going back full circle, you know, the thing that's unique about my story uh, that I that I value and I think others are um, being inspired by. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I know forgiveness is one of those things I, I tell folks, it's a individual choice. It's an individual journey. I chose forgiveness myself, wrote letters of forgiveness to my perpetrators. But with my parents, one of the most profound moments in my life was when I was 10. My dad was very physically abusive to my sister and I during my first 10 years of life, her first seven. 
Um, but he had sought counseling uh, because of my mom's alcoholism. And um, he was really having some struggles with maintaining, keeping a job. Um, but in the midst of his counseling, um, the violence against his children came up. And when I was 10, I, the day is so specific. He called me back. My parents slept in separate rooms, <laughs> separate bedrooms. He called me back to his bedroom and sat me on his lap and said, Terry, I have never should have hit you. I never, never should have taken my um, frustration with your mother's addiction, with your mother's drinking out on you girls. And I am so sorry. And I will never hit you again. And he didn't. And to me, that was a moment and powerful, powerful, empowering moment in my life of forgiveness and understanding. I mean, yes, I still had to travel through the, through a process as I grew older, yeah. Um, but it, that was, yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to what you're saying of, of, wow, if you experience that, it is incredibly transitional. Yeah. And transformational. I mean, again, it's not something, you know, everybody has the opportunity to experience, but you, you alluded uh, to writing letters of forgiveness. And I, and I think it's very interesting, you know, Eve Ensler has this book called The Apology. I think that's the title of it. I've, I've read it and she imagines an apology and then responds to the imagined apology. I had a real apology. It, it sounds like you did too, at least in that instance of trauma and abuse. And it is really powerful if it's, if it's real, if it's authentic. And I think you know that. And I think you know that even as a child, the same way you know that something isn't right, you know that something is right. You can feel it and um, it gives you something and it's something, you know, you carry forward and helps you lead uh, a full life, uh, one that allows you to receive all that you deserve, um, which is, you know, the thing that often gets compromised when people remain injured. Uh, and, and, you know, people say to me, well, like, could you have gone through that and not forgiven your parents, meaning is it okay if I don't forgive my family or whoever it is? And often it's people we know and love that hurt us the most. And I say to people, I know that I have benefited from my ability to forgive. I know that forgiveness happened in a context of getting support for that to occur. But I don't know, A, that it's an option and B, that it's required. Uh, yet it does seem like I don't know. Um, forgiveness does allow your heart to get a little bigger. Um, and, uh, and there's more room for other things when we, when we are able to have that experience. But I, I would never want to say, you know, it's required to grow and heal. Um, and I think there are certain instances, either the nature of the abuse or the nature of the apology being sort of inauthentic or not not really um, heartfelt that um, might make it uh, sort of impossible uh, for somebody to say, I accept your apology. Right. Uh, right. So anyway, I, I think a lot about this stuff and I do um, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Don't we? And you know, the thing is what I'm finding out is, you know, and then the other thing is who's my audience and clearly people who are themselves identified as people who experienced, you know, childhood abuse or the aces as as you 
talk about on your website, adverse childhood experiences. Um, but it turns out that even if, and I'm a person who had, um, you know, childhood sexual abuse from the time I was five until I was 12, along with a lot of other emotional and physical abuse. My father was the alcoholic uh, in our family and active. How much the story, even if you didn't yourself experience abuse of the nature that I did, I'm when I'm doing readings, like if I'm at a bookstore or at a library or in somebody's living room, the places that I go and do readings at conferences, I mean, people come up to me and they're like, I didn't have that, but I had this. And I feel estranged and I want to change it. Now I think I might be able to. And that's that's really powerful. Um, so I knew I knew the book would have an appeal to people who themselves experienced childhood abuse, specifically sexual abuse. But it turns out there's a lot of other, you know, families, they're complicated, right? And lots of us, even without abuse, have um have struggles with our family. I would say. We families know us the best and they know us the least, you know, and um, and uh, we wouldn't be here without them. So so it's 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 part of who we are um, and figuring out a way for there to be more ease and more peace is certainly part of what I'm hoping my story contributes to. Yes. Well, and putting your truth out there, you're right. It just resonates with others. It's amazing how those soul connections can happen when we do yeah. put our truths out there. And even though yeah. it's not exactly the same, a lot of times the result is the same. Like you said, having estrangement from, from your loved ones. So, well, the thing is like, so growing up uh, and I think this whole, like when you are somebody who has experienced abuse and you're conscious of it, um, you're aware that you've been uh, injured, not treated with personhood. Right. Um, you, you have to also decide two things. One is kind of, are you going to stay connected and oftentimes sort of in a false way, you know, you, you just participate in the lie. You go to Thanksgiving, everybody's happy to see one another and dare you to say anything to conflict with that narrative. Right. Or you completely separate. And, and while I understand there are certainly reasons to separate, disconnect, it's at a cost, you know, it's at a pretty big cost. So those are generally the two choices, stay and participate in the lie or, or leave. Um, so that's one thing you have to kind of figure out as an abuse survivor, trauma survivor. But the other thing is how authentic can you be in the world? Like you said, oh, this is your truth. Well, I've been doing work helping specifically young people to heal my whole adult life. I do counseling and education. I didn't start sharing my story till very recently. Really, um, my book sort of invites people to recognize that my personal experience, as much if not more, informs me not just about trauma, but about healing. And I think it's like ridiculously relevant, right, to the work that I do. And it motivates me and it helps me stay in the game with people um, that a lot of other people would otherwise sort of give up on. So I don't know. This this stuff is very interesting. It's never stopped being interesting to me. Uh, there's a lot of mystery that's involved, uh, and I think as as you're sort of mentioning and I'm feeling, there's also like joy in um, being able uh, to move through it 
and then share that, share what that's about. Oh, absolutely. And on and on the other side of the coin of that, as as a parent, and especially one who, oh, I tried so desperately to make sure my kids didn't experience trauma like I did growing up. However, I, at the time, I was still lost in the chaos of my own trauma. I hadn't yet started the healing work. And so I inadvertently was doing things uh, that were hurting my kids. But but because I'm open to it and now understand, I've done the healing journey, my kids as adults can have these conversations. Yesterday, uh, one of my kids was just, just giving me, teasing me so bad about something that had happened um, that was painful for him as a teenager, uh, an action of my part. But we were able to laugh and talk about it. And I was like, oh, God, honey, I am so, so sorry. I hope you know my intention was never to hurt you. And he's like, oh, mom, I'm just jabbing at you. You know, but when you're, you know, for those who are listening, if you were the one that, that, had has caused pain or whether intentionally or not um if you're open to those conversations and open to like you rosie coming to your parents and talking to them about it and having that courage to talk about it number one but then the the parents have being open to it i mean just it's just beautiful yeah no it's i i love that you're sharing this thing about your children and i think those of us who've gone through trauma and then, um, you know, you can't really say you're ever healed, right? I mean, there's there's sort of still a healing journey that takes place. And there are ways I get caught off guard sometimes um, by, uh, oh, I don't know, just the poignancy of how I was raised. Um, but I, I do love my parents. And, and I think <laughs> they were the product. You know, Sinead O'Connor, she just died and I learned recently when she talks about her mother, who was just remarkably abusive, and that that she viewed her mother as the child of a mother, the child of a mother, the child of a mother, all of whom, you know, got the shit end of the stick, right? I mean, that's, right. and it's not an excuse. It's not like, oh, no. therefore it's okay. It's just understanding that things happen for a reason. But I think all of us, parents you know we want to nurture nourish our kids and um especially if you've been abused you don't want to repeat the mistakes and yet invariably you know to some extent we do um and we have to be grown up and we have to have sort of the courage to admit it and um be glad that and and in my case you know if I looked at my genogram, I can sometimes joke about this with my sisters. The the legacy of childhood sexual abuse is just ubiquitous. Yeah, if I did a family tree on both sides, and yet um, when we had our kids, my sisters and I, I have a brother, but he has uh, cognitive and physical disabilities um, and is not partnered. Um, but my sisters and I each had two kids, so six grandchildren. The legacy of family childhood sexual abuse was interrupted. Yeah. Like, that's huge, right? Yes. I mean, that's just gigantic. And um, so we want to nourish our kids and yet we still make mistakes. But if we can interrupt these legacies, and I think people sometimes get caught in this idea that, you know, well, if my father or mother treated me this way, then I guess I'm doomed. 
And I'm like, no, no. I mean, there are things, you know, we can't control for and gestures. I mean, as I'm talking, you can't see I'm using my hands. I'm half Italian. Like there are all these things that just are part of me, what I did inherit. But around the hurtful things, as much as I can, I am raising, I have young adult kids, you know, children who aren't in fear of being abused by their family of origin. And and I'm very relieved and grateful and amazed that that happened, you know? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that. I, that is really an aha moment for me because, you know, as I've, again, as I've traveled the parenting journey and watched my children step onto their own healing paths from, from things that they've experienced both with, through their family and outside of, because exactly. life happens. Um, it's just, it's been so beautiful, but I, I see some patterns. And, and so we talk about it, but they're very open to talking about it. But I love it that you just brought the attention to that's one of the things that was like, no, the wall, like that was not happening anymore. Er, yeah. break. But I love I love that you also mentioned it. There's our family and then there's, you know, our community. And then there are people we don't know. And there's all sorts of ways we're vulnerable. And 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 in reading a little bit about your story that you've chosen to share publicly, you know, it's it's interesting. My 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 kids have, you know, they found out about our our family history, uh, a lot of it, frankly, when the book came out, because like whatever they knew, they didn't know the specifics, but we thought, well, when the book is getting published, I should tell them and then they can choose to read it or not. But where I was going with this is there are, well, certainly other places in their life that they have no control over. And I'm going to say something specific to being female in this world, which is, I think we're uniquely vulnerable, especially. Um, And so anyway, I ended up sharing with them other things that happened to me with other people. And I don't think that's unusual. I, I think actually, you know, they talk about um, people never just liking, you know, one drug, you're usually a multi-drug user or whatever, but I've done stuff in addiction. I mean, I think, you know, we get hurt in a variety of ways and uh, around sex and sexuality, it's the world's kind of messed up about what's okay and what's not. We talk out of two sides of our mouth, right? We right. say, absolutely not okay. Never. That's the worst thing anybody can do. But we have, you know, an epidemic. If one out of four and one out of six, according to FBI statistics, says anything about how common it is, it's way too common. Yes. Uh, so we have more work to do. We definitely oh. have more work to do. Unbelievably more work to do. Yes. Yeah. Until it's zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Until people are really, I know all this talk about safety. I find that really interesting. You know, are you safe? I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think I am and I'm not. And sometimes I don't think I am and I am. I mean, it's, mm. it's, it's really, you know, organic, you know, this concept of safety, it, it moves around and it's, and it's not static. It's not static. Right. Right. My, my, one of my children had gone off to college and um, was enjoying life as a freshman um, and then came home and said, I quit. And we didn't understand for a long, long, long time. Uh, but a friend of his um, had at the time undiagnosed schizophrenia and had told my son 
Satan's telling me to kill you, meaning kill my son, but I'm going to kill myself instead. And then he did. And so my son was walking around with this survivor's guilt. And so there was this horrific trauma that had happened to this kid um, outside of, you know, our family unit. And he, he was carrying the weight of that. And I mean, we knew this boy had killed himself and, and, you know, he, my son went through the funeral and process and all of that, but we didn't understand the extent of it because there was just well, a weight that came with of his, you know, his relationship to that person. And that speaks to this other thing I think you might know about, which is whatever we do to tell our kids to tell us if and when anything happens. And I think we have to just accept that this is normal, that this is just human nature. Yeah. Kids you know, privatize a lot of their suffering. And there's different reasons that they do that. I mean, sometimes it's because they don't think it's going to do any good to tell. But other times, you know, they want to protect you from thinking that they're at risk of of being injured. They want to protect themselves from this idea that they're weak for having been injured. I mean, there's so many reasons that I think our children don't tell us everything. And you know, us having to come to terms with that if, when, you know, in in the example you gave, you know, he, it's a big decision to decide to leave school. But once you find out the context, you're like, oh, now it makes sense. It's that thing, you know, that, that I was saying, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, Right. They really do. Yeah. Oh yeah. And to watch him travel his journey of forgiveness with this young man, this friend of his, um and and everything that he's experienced as a result of that has just been um i mean it's been heartbreaking at times as he's to watch him and no i don't have the magic wand as a parent to fix it but to witness him continue to right. do the work and and attempt to work his way through it is it's just beautiful because again it's that generational you know, instead of generational trauma, it's like generational uh, gumption and, and resilience and <laughs> passing along that you can do this mentality and get back up and keep fighting, yeah, kiddo. Which, which I think I love that you're bringing up the um, inherited legacies and they're not just weaknesses. Sometimes they're huge strengths. And I would like to think that my grandmother's tenacity when she left Italy that got her to this country, made it so she could succeed, raise a family, et cetera, is part of me, right? So we have to, I think we have to realize that the the things that that we inherit, um, they're not just ugly, even when they're contained within a family with a lot of um with a lot of difficulties. I'll just use that word broadly. Yeah. Uh, and the difficulties often are coupled with um a lack of resources. So that's another piece. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to give you an opportunity to touch upon anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. The only other thing that came to mind, you know, in the context of having this conversation um, was something I was uh, made to think about lately in in response to my story, because people use the word bravery and courage a lot. Um, And it's not, you know, it's not something, it's not like a talent you're born with. Um, you have to sort of 
have an experience of fear and then almost not believe the fear, even though the fear might feel like a part of who you are, and then do something that I guess qualifies as being brave anyway. So you have the fear, you do something, you know, speaking truth to power, for example, and then you practice and you get better. You get better at not believing your fear and you get better at um, remaining true to yourself. And I think that is a whole other discussion that I like to have with people in response to my story. Uh, just, um, just, just not believing fear. I think we need a lot more. I think we need a lot more bravery in the world right now. I think we're lacking, at least in the media, we're lacking in stories of bravery. And and I want I want more people to realize their own bravery. Oh my gosh, I have a story. I'm going to share a story. <laughs> So I've had this go ahead, go ahead. This yeah. crazy fear of open spaces um arise over the past few years. I've done an incredible amount of trauma healing work in EMDR therapy for years and processed so much of my childhood trauma. So we I kept thinking, like, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? I thought it was maybe the second bank robbery where I was trapped between two gunmen in an open space. And but anyway, so finally I was like, it really doesn't matter where it's come from, it's here. So now we deal with it. So I might never know where it's coming from and what triggered it. But we live on Hilton Head Island and the beach has just always been a a safe space for me and a beautiful place. But then I found myself very afraid to be out on the beach because it's big, wide open spaces with a big, wide open ocean and, and far away from, and there's, there's people and and, wide open sky, right? Yeah. Big, wide open sky. Right. And it was just a lot of open space. And so I, this year, over these past few months, I've said, I am going to go to the beach, try to go every day, sit in the ocean water and just, just really start challenging myself. Well, today I decided this morning, I decided it was high tide. So water was in closer so I could get in. And I took our dog, Sammy, our Labradoodle. She and I decided, let's just go to the beach for a half hour. So let's just run and go sit in the water for a little bit. And I got there and I I forgot like school has headed back. So the beach was almost empty. And you talk about like, there were not people, there were a lot of dog walkers and the dogs were playing in the ocean, but I was, I was feeling incredibly exposed. So I said, Terry, you need to sit with it. You need to be with it. You need to practice what you preach and let's do some somatic work. Let's just be with it. Now, meanwhile, Sammy stands up because some people were walking towards us, three people. And one of the women goes and starts backing up, like very, very scared, obviously terrified of dogs. Now I had Sammy on a leash. I always do. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I've got her. She's leashed. And these people came up and talked to me. And this woman um, was like, I'm so scared of dogs. And I said, oh, I work in the trauma recovery arena. Um, You know, I understand it's completely okay. I've got her. I'll keep her over on this side away from you. And so I was saying that Sammy used to be a therapy dog working with kids. So we just chatted about the podcast and they were just so great, gracious well, meanwhile, this lady's inching closer yeah. and closer and closer and closer until she's standing very close to the people. She's no longer backed away. And now she never reached out and touched Sammy, but she got, I saw the shift happen in her. 
just by her just being with it and allowing it and and just me just comforting her with my words and Sammy just being Sammy, (laughs) which is very gentle and her energy. So again, it was like two examples. And it was my reminder that, oh, Terry, it was a God reminder, like you, you are doing exactly what this woman is doing, like just being with it. So anyway, there's my little story. That's beautiful. And I think um, how great you could move out of your quote unquote comfort zone and then have this beautiful experience, you in the wide open space and her near this dog who is, you know, completely gentle and with no, um, with no threat, you know, of causing harm. Yeah. It's about being in reality. If you think about it, right. Just what, what is really going on. And if there's not anything to be afraid of, to be able to take in what's happening, uh, we're able to be more present. So thank you. Yeah, that was a great story. Oh, well, thanks for letting me share and throw my little, my little story out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that you did. I am. Awesome. Well, so how do folks connect with you? How do they find your book? Um, so you can find my book on Amazon. Um, I'd sent a little bio with some links and then you can go directly to my website and there's a web page where you can learn more about the book. And then I also have a podcast. Uh, I'm not as sophisticated as you, but I interview people about their response to my story. And that's been really eye-opening. And, um, and there's contact, you can just, you know, email me and, and I'm happy. I can also come and do readings. I've gone to all these different places and I love, I love meeting people and talking with them. It's great. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Well, what a cool idea for a podcast. I love the, that idea of, yeah, of, of listening to the readers, really. Listening to the reader response and then having discussions and everybody yeah. I talk to, you know, has a different vantage point and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's really beautiful. So yeah, Fortunate Daughter, a memoir of reconciliation. Wonderful. And what's your website? Um, it's Optimistic Options. I love that too. When I saw it, I was like, that's so cute. Oh, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I love it. All right. Well, it's just been a joy to have you. Thank you for sharing your brilliant insights and wisdom. Um, It's just been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Terry. I'm glad you're on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well, terrywellbrock.com. You can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.